So Jesus, you are the king, and we pray that you would use your word to teach us and help us to be more like you and rest in the fact that you are Lord. Ask this in your name. Amen. Well, hello, 945, and those of you watching on the podcast, thank you all for joining us. I want to start with a question. Are there situations uh, that you right now feel are very discouraging or even hopeless? Maybe a relationship or health or school or career issue in your personal life. Or maybe like a lot of people, it's just the stuff going on in our country right now has you discouraged. Maybe it even feels a little bit hopeless. And there are all kinds of things that reinforce that sense of hopelessness. The news and social media and certainly other people can reinforce it. I heard a pastor once say that after one of his sermons, a woman said to him, Oh, pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next. And he said, thank you. And then he went, wait, wait, that's not a compliment. Every sermon is better. In other words, I'm getting worse and worse every week. Sort of kind of felt hopeless to him. There's lots of people who give us discouraging and hopeless messages. Well, we are starting a new sermon series today called Sent about the book of Jonah, which is actually perfect for going into Thanksgiving and Christmas. And most of us kind of know the story of Jonah swallowed by the big fish and all of that. And you may think, what on earth does that have to do with Christmas? Well, Jonah was sent to a place that he did not want to go, and he rebelled and ran away from God, but eventually ended up going there and transformed a whole city. And at Christmas, Jesus was sent also to a difficult place, but he did not rebel, and he transformed the whole world. Just as God sends you and me to be the healing, to, be, to bring healing to ourselves and to the whole world and to bring hope to the hopeless. Now, immediately, the book of Jonah raises instantly the question, well, how could someone survive in a fish for three days, right? And lots of answers. Some people say that Jonah is really more of a parable or an allegory told to illustrate a certain point. Others say, no, no, the God who made the universe is per perfectly capable of doing a miracle like that. Still others say, well, maybe it's theoretically possible to survive. And some will point to a, a New York Times story in 1891 about a guy named James Bartley who fell overboard, was swallowed by a whale, said that he was able to breathe, but the hot air rendered him unconscious. And he was in there for 15 hours, and then his shipmates caught the whale, skinned it, and out he came. He'd lost all the hair on his body, and his skin had been bleached completely white, and he was partially blind. But other than that, he was just fine. It was in the times. Must be true, right? So whether it's true or not, I don't know. What I do know is that questions about the whale end up missing the bigger points that the book wants to make. So what I'm going to do today is no, no three-point sermon today. I'm just kind of going to go through the first chapter, and I'll just make some observations along the way. They'll be on the screens about how Jesus brings hope and healing. The book starts out, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Have you ever said, maybe when you're like trying to make a decision, have you ever said, I just wish God would give me an audible voice? Or like everyone says that until he does, right? And then they say, oh crap, right? <laughs> which is kind of what Jonah does here, right? Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh for some really good reasons. See, 
Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which posed a military threat to Israel. And Assyria pursued a policy of genocide and would wipe out whole groups of people. And after a victory, they would torture the civilians that they had conquered. In fact, archaeologists have, have found stone carvings where Assyrians brag about skinning people alive and other forms of torture. They would behead people and pile their heads up in a pyramid, sometimes hundreds high. And we can kind of get a sense of how difficult the Assyrians were when we, when we, see, that Nineveh, where we, see, when we see where Nineveh was actually located. It's located in what is today Iraq, across the river from the city of Mosul, which is currently controlled by ISIS, whose tactics everyone abhors, particularly Muslims, who suffer from them. And God basically says to Jonah here, I want to save ISIS with my love. You can see why Jonah didn't want to do that. On top of that, Jonah had a sense of racial superiority. He was an Israelite, God's chosen people. And all of that combined to, give, to, to bring me my first observation, and that is God's call is sometimes unpredictable, uncomfortable, and unnerving. If we are praying... Jesus, show me how you want me to bring healing in my school, workplace, neighborhood, as I assigned you to do two weeks ago, and your homework will be due today, and no excuses, okay? Because like I used to teach, I've heard every excuse possible. My favorite was a student who said, I don't have my homework because my mom did it wrong, so I threw it away. <laughs> Honest at least, right? If we pray, show me, God, how you want to use me, God will sometimes ask us to do something unpredictable, uncomfortable, unnerving. So Jonah runs away, and not just a little bit run away, like he really, super, truly runs away, right? So he goes to the port city of Joppa in Israel, gets on a boat to Tarshish, which is in Spain. Okay, so check it out. God called him to go east to Nineveh, Instead, he goes as far west as he could possibly go, the end of the known world. Like if he'd been just a little more disobedient, he'd have discovered America. <laughs> but they're not even on the same continent. One is Asia and the other is Europe, right? And his theology was God is just God in Israel. So if I get away from him, then God won't bother me anymore. And I think we do something similar when we compartmentalize our lives. Jesus is for church on Sunday, but not school on Monday or work or my neighborhood, or my money, or my time. And there are probably some really good reasons that Jonah ran away. I mean, first, he had to be scared, right? Hey, evil empire, you're sinning. That's not likely to go over very well. Second, if he goes to Nineveh, he would be considered a traitor by his fellow Israelites. And third, and the real reason he didn't want to go, the real reason is he hates the Ninevites. See, he wasn't afraid that his mission would fail. He was afraid it was going to succeed, which it does. Eventually, he does end up going to Nineveh, and they change their ways, and God forgives them, to which Jonah says, to which Jonah says, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. See, Jonah doesn't want them forgiven. He wants them dead. Now, obviously, God didn't approve of what Assyria was doing, but God often has a different way of handling these things than we do. When God, at the beginning, tells Jonah to go, quote, preach against the city, the Hebrew there could also be translated, preach to it because its trouble concerns me. See, Jonah's assignment was born from God's compassion, which shows my second observation, God's love is offensive. God's love is offensive. He pours it out on people who don't deserve it, and we don't like that, do we? 
As, as I've said before, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. But when it saves a wretch like you, it's not so amazing anymore. Right? But this is very, very, very good news because it, what it means is we can't out-sin, out-rebel God. He will not let go. He will never give up on you. His love never runs out. The poet Robert Frost said that after Jonah, you could never trust God not to be merciful again. So let me ask, what's the worst thing you've done or maybe haven't done that you should have? What is the thing that you are most ashamed of in your life? Think about that right now. Now, turn to your neighbor and share it. <laughs> Obviously, we never do that because we're so ashamed, but here's the deal, right? If you call Jesus your leader and forgiver, that thing has not only been forgiven, God doesn't even remember it. The Bible says he blinds himself to our sin. And this is a bigger miracle than someone living inside of a fish. Right? The fish represents not unbelievable physics. It represents unbelievable grace. God's love is offensive. And it is also the most powerful force in the world. I think of a woman named Mary Johnson who I've told you about before. And her 20-year-old son was shot to death by a 16-year-old named O'Shea. And for 12 years, Mary was consumed with anger. But as a follower of Jesus, she knew she had to forgive O'Shea, not for his sake, but for hers, so she wouldn't be eaten up by anger. After 12 years of prayer, she finally went and visited O'Shea in prison and ended up talking for hours. And at the end, O'Shea asked if he could hug her, and she said yes. And when he did, she just started to cry uncontrollably. O'Shea said, I've been in prison 12 years, but that was the scariest moment of my life. Crying ladies scare me. From there, they met regularly and worked through a painful process of forgiveness that took years. Well, eventually, O'Shea got out of jail, and he ended up moved to the unit next door to Mary's duplex. They share a wall. And he's become a son to her, and she a mother to him. O'Shea is a Christian now, and he goes into prisons and tells prisoners about Jesus, how they can avoid repeating their crimes when they get out. See, more powerful than the punishment O'Shea received was Jesus' love coming through Mary. And it also set her free from bitterness and anger. God's love is the most powerful force on earth. But Jonah wants nothing to do with it. So he gets on a boat, and then there's a storm comes up, a storm, and the sailors start to panic. And the text says, but Jonah had gone below deck where he fell into a deep sleep. Well, wasn't that convenient? And he's, he's only thinking about himself, only thinking about his own issues. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes you probably do that too, right? I'm just going to deal with my grades, my school, my job, finding a spouse for me, my popularity. But there are other people in your boat. There are other people in your boat. The people you live with, work with, go to school with. Do you believe that God wants to bring healing and hope for them through you? So then the text says, the captain went to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. See, this pagan captain right here is open to hearing about God because there's a crisis, which is when people turn to God, which is why I keep saying this is a moment in American culture ripe for people turning to Jesus because we are running out of our own answers. So that brings me to my next observation. The captain here rightly rebukes Jonah for not using his faith for the public good. And the world can rightly rebuke any church that is asleep to the real problems in our world. Racial injustice, division, religious intolerance, families in crisis, poverty. Jesus can heal those things through us if we're not asleep below the deck. But it also heals us when we do this. 
We can either sit in fear and anger and division and wring our hands, or we can be part of healing things. I was thinking this week, I, I kind of realized this week, one of the reasons I have hope, in spite of all that's going on in our country right now, one of the reasons I have hope is because I'm part of this church that is already doing things to help heal poverty and equip youth, and we're continuing to look for new ways to heal racial injustice and division. I have hope because I'm part of the solution, and so are you. See, action leads to hope. God says to us what the captain says to Jonah, wake up, you're in a spiritual coma. And here's another observation. You will, not, you, will, you will only get strong by moving out. You will only get strong by moving out. It's like a person who stays in bed too long, right? Ever do that? You're laying in bed, right? You're like, oh, I don't feel like getting up. It's because you're not getting up, right? And, and the longer you lay there, the harder it is to get up. And if you just get up, you're going to start to feel better. So get up. Right? Jonah here is not going to feel better, not going to feel hope until he starts living into God's purposes for his life. So the sailors then, the storm is still going on, the sailors ask, how can we escape the storm? And Jonah says, well, it's basically my fault, so pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I love that, not, not I'll jump, just throw me in, my life is terrible, no one cares about if Jonah lives or dies, poor Jonah, I just throw me in and the Oscar for melodrama goes to Jonah, right? Now, in a little bit here, Jonah is maybe showing some sacrificial love. Hey, I'll go in the sea so you sailors can be saved. Maybe, but it's also disobedient. He would rather die in the sea than turn around and go to Nineveh and do what God said. So the sailors say, no, we're not going to throw you into the sea, right? But then the storm gets worse, and so they say, never mind, and over he goes. <laughs> and then the storm stops. And this is a turning point in Jonah's life. Because he discovers my next point, which is, as Pastor Tim Keller says, there is love beneath the waves. The text says the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. God provided. Now, you might go, well, I don't consider being swallowed by a whale, right, and getting bleached and then barfed out to be God's provision. But he didn't drown, and God actually works through this to begin to change him, which we'll talk about in the weeks ahead. Some of you are in a storm right now, marriage, relationship storm, a work, school storm, health storm. There is love beneath the waves. There is love beneath the waves. I told you a few weeks ago about a woman who had to have her leg amputated because of cancer and, but experienced God's presence in ways that she never has before and faced that with courage and with a sense of humor, you know, even had a goodbye leg party where people wore T-shirts that said things like, I've always had a leg up on the competition, Right? Well, the update on her is she's doing really well, and recently her son-in-law showed me a picture of her getting her first half-priced pedicure, which she says is an advantage of only having one leg, right? And she just has this big smile on her face. Storms can make you bitter or they can make you better. But for her, it's hard, but Jesus is using it to get closer to her and make her stronger and give her hope. The text tells us that Jonah was from Galilee. 700 years later, another prophet from Galilee compared himself to Jonah. Jesus says, as Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus threw himself into a storm, died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and then was rose again, which means we are forgiven, and even when we die, we will live again. You will not be drowned by the storm because Jesus drowned for you. There's love beneath the waves. 
And when you get this outrageous, offensive love of God, it changes you. In Jonah's own theology, he, he should be killed as punishment for running away from God. But God saves him. And in the process, Jonah realizes that God's compassion is not weakness in God's justice. It's a better form of justice, which transforms him. And then eventually, by the end of the book, transforms an entire city. Which brings me to the last observation, and that is you can make a difference even if you're messed up. Or I should probably say even though you are messed up, because you are, and so am I. You can't say I'm too young. Two weeks ago, I told you about Alexis, who in high school started saving orphans in Rwanda. Can't say I'm too old. My dad is 82 and leading Bible studies in prison. You don't, even if you're homebound, you can pray for things. You don't even have to be good at this. Okay, like Jonah is the worst missionary ever. Right, like he doesn't even go to the countries of missionary too. Pastor Lee Strobel tells a story about a man in his church who wanted to find ways to tell people about Jesus. And one day he was shopping for sunglasses and asked the, picked up a pair and asked the clerk about them. And the clerk said, oh, no, those are great. They'll, they'll really protect you from the sun. And the guy said, yeah, wouldn't it be great if there was something to protect you from the fires of hell? Worst evangelism line in history. Right, like, don't use that, right? Like, bad evangelism line, right? The clerk said, you know, I've been thinking about that lately. Ended up in this great conversation. Months later, the clerk became a Christian. You don't even have to be good at this. <laughs> like, you can, you can suck that badly, right? And God's still going to work, okay? Just be available. See, Jonah is not the hero of this story. God is. So where might God be calling you to bring some healing? Because, oh, my goodness, do we need it? Just this, just this week in the news, there's been racial violence. Little kids saying to immigrant kids on the playground, go back to your country. Swastikers and racial slurs written on public buildings, even here in the Northwest, even here in Bellevue. So this week I got an email from a woman in our church who's seen all this, and so she's making an extra effort to talk to people of color, immigrants, and Muslims in her neighborhood and in her workplace because they feel a lot of fear right now. And they're wondering, are they safe? Are they wanted? So she's making an effort to talk with them and show them that she cares, show them that they are safe with her. That's one small thing all of us can do, even with just people maybe we meet randomly in the store or a clerk in a store. Because racial justice and caring for the foreigner in our midst is a non-negotiable for the people of God. It is everywhere in the Bible, including in the book of Jonah. So where are you called to bring healing? How is God asking you to be part of that? Start where you already are, right? School, workplace, neighborhood. Instead of saying something like, I don't have time to help out in youth ministry because I'm coaching my kid's soccer team. Hello, you're doing youth ministry. Right? Like, all you need to do is pray and ask Jesus, hey, show me today how I can bring your healing, and then keep your eyes open for the opportunities. Or maybe you are called to help our youth here. We would love to have you. Or Eastside Academy, or Jubilee Reach. Or maybe it's being a reading buddy in a local school. Where is God asking you to bring healing? Maybe, maybe your Nineveh is your brother-in-law this Thanksgiving, <laughs> whose politics you hate. Maybe God is asking you to listen to him, not to agree, but just to understand and build bridges because research shows when people feel heard, they're more open to new ideas, which leads to better conversations. There's a woman in our church named Margot. Many of you know her. She told her kids' school to call her about any kids who couldn't afford to bring snacks on their birthday 
which happens even in her affluent neighborhood. <clears throat> and she'd bake cupcakes, and then she'd take him to the school so that that kid didn't have to feel left out. Well, she discovered that she had the spiritual gift of cupcake baking, one of the more important spiritual gifts in the Bible, <laughs> right? which eventually turned into a business, Pinkabella Cupcakes. They got locations all over the place, and they give away a lot of their profits to help organizations that help kids. Right? And, and in fact, when people ask Margot, are you profitable, she kind of says, I don't know, because we don't measure our success by a profit and loss sheet. We measure it by how many lives we can change every day. And it's been so good for her own kids. I mean, she, she says if they even think about selling the business, her kids get upset and say, how can we help all these people if we do that? And she's really, really good at this. Like, she comes up with the most innovative flavors ever. She once gave me a Guinness Stout cupcake. Oh, man. Like, you have not lived until you've... Like, if you have never had a Guinness Stout cupcake, basically up to this point, your life has been meaningless. <laughs> Margot's call was to help kids in her local school, where her kids already were going. So, your homework from two weeks ago is due today. I asked you to pray about where God might be asking you to bring some healing. And for Advent, we're doing a community art project, and we're all going to be a part of it, including our kids in the Sunday school, right? So you, were, you got a blank disc when you came in, and, and, and if you didn't get one, there'll be some after the service that you can, that you can grab. And in a minute, we're going to ask you, we're going to give you some time to write on that disc where you think God is asking you to bring healing. Not yet, because I'm still preaching, and that will distract me, all right? But in a minute, right? Where is God asking you to bring healing? Maybe it's just something you're already doing. You're going to school. You're going to work. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's just going to the store, a volunteer thing you're already doing. But you're going to do it differently. You're going to ask Jesus every day, show me opportunities to bring healing. And then you're going to keep your eyes open for those opportunities. Maybe it is to volunteer to do something or pray for a local school or for someone in need. Even if you're not sure what it is, write something down. Just write something down, okay? Don't put your name on it. And on the way out, there are going to be baskets out there, and, and you can leave them as you go. If you don't have a pencil, there's probably some pencils back there, but I think we distributed some, I hope. Um, and, and write them down. If you're watching online on the podcast, you can participate by emailing us at art at bellpress.org, or if you're on Instagram, take a picture of where you're going to bring healing and share that with hashtags bellpress and called and sent. And like I said, our kids are going to do this, and it's only going to work if you all do it. So you all got to write something down. And then on your way out, leave them in the basket. And then in two weeks, I will give you your next step. And don't worry, the next step won't be weird or difficult. It will be well within the Presbyterian comfort zone. Right? <laughs> so I'll close with this, and then you can write on the discs um, after I'm done. I recently saw a Facebook post from a police officer who pulled a guy over for texting and driving. And it was a young black man young black man who looked at this police officer with just terror on his face. His hands were up, his voice was shaking, and he was saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Anything, just do you want me to get out of the car? What do you want me to do? Scared to death. And it just broke this police officer's heart. And he said, no, I don't want you to get out of the car. I just don't want you to text and drive. I don't want you to get in a wreck. I want your mom to always have her son, and I want you to grow up and do great things. I don't even want to write you a ticket. I just want you to be safe, so please put the phone down and don't get hurt. Completely diffused the situation. The young man felt cared for and loved. 
The officer went on to say, I really don't care whose fault it is that this young black man was so scared to have a cop at his window. Blame the media, blame bad cops, blame protesters, or Colin Kaepernick if you want to. It doesn't matter who's to blame. I just want it fixed. It may not be our fault, Bell Press, but it is our time. And he brought some healing. That's one cop and one black man reconciled. And it didn't add one minute to his day. He just did it as a part of his job that he's doing already. And we just need to do things like that over and over and over again. We can either wring our hands in despair or knowing that action leads to hope, we can do what God tells us to do. Bring Jesus justice and his love and see in his healing so that people see the real Jesus. Not the stereotypical Jesus, but the real risen, making new of all things Jesus who is passionate about justice and healing his word world. And this church always has been and will remain committed to bringing that healing in our own lives, personally, as well as in our world. We will not run away like Jonah because the offensive love of Jesus has gone on the offensive against fear, division, anger, and hopelessness. And we can be a part of it. As Russell Wilson says, why not us, Belprez? Why not us? Not exactly what he says, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> and Jesus will never give up Never give in, never get out, give out until earth and heaven are one and he will have his way. It is not hopeless because we follow the Lord of all hope. So Jesus, thank you that you bring hope and healing. Lord, we pray that you would bring hope and healing in our own lives, the personal battles we face. And then Lord, use us, call us to bring hope and healing wherever you have put us throughout the week. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.